Do you travel for a living and struggle to maintain a healthy lifestyle like I do? Or maybe you just struggle to maintain a healthy lifestyle in general. This is the Road to Health podcast and I am Tamar, your host for this adventure. I travel for business often, which presents some challenges in terms of achieving and maintaining a healthy lifestyle. Join me on my perfectly imperfect journey as I implement the strategies I've learned from the coaches I work with and interview on my show to lose 40 pounds by June 1st, 2020. I don't always manage to resist the temptations that come from traveling for business, but by working on a few key areas of my mental and physical health, I'm managing to get healthier as I go. No one needs to take this journey alone. So if you struggle to make healthy choices on the road like I do, join me for this ride on the road to health. Well-traveled, well-lived. Are you someone who has used food, drugs, or alcohol to get rid of those feelings and numb out the pain? Hey guys, Tamar here from the Road to Health podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today is the day I start off my five-part series, which is going to be two episodes per part. And this month, I'm going to be speaking to addiction. And although my uh, journey during this part of the series really focuses on drugs and alcohol, I don't um, see addiction as just uh, specific substances. I mean, for me, food is also in there, right? I used food uh, after I got sober to numb out those those feelings and the pain that I experienced and because it was a quick fix right it gave me that instant gratification so you know keep in mind throughout this if you can't relate with drugs or alcohol you may be able to relate to food you may have tried other things to numb out those feelings and you know so really the goal of this series is to really kind of get into my story, share with you guys what happened, um, you know, how I ended up changing and what I'm doing today to keep it that way, right? Because it does, it's ongoing work. It's not something that just comes naturally. Um, I know that if I slip into old habits, I could very much so go back into these behaviors and that's something I won't, don't want to do anymore. So I am going to be getting vulnerable. I'm going to be sharing some stories that I have never shared on the show before. And just keep in mind that uh, this is also going to be in my book, which is releasing on July 14th. I'm still working on a title, so I'm going to be posting that in the Facebook group. Um, I've got some ideas, but of course, I would love your thoughts and opinions because I want you guys to be part of this, uh, this book that I'm writing. And, you know, just because, you know, you guys inspire me to continue to move forward. And I just appreciate you all. So thank you so much for listening. If you know anybody who has struggled from addiction in the past and is kind of feeling stuck right now, they don't know where to go, or maybe they're even struggling right now, you know, forward these episodes off to them, let them know about it. And hopefully uh, through sharing these episodes, we can help people, you know, regain the hope in themselves that they too can change their lives. So as I mentioned in my intro episode, I grew up in a very good family. I wasn't exposed to addiction. Um, which was wonderful. So, you know, I just wanted to clear up that misconception that a lot of people have that really don't know addiction, that not everybody has to grow up in a traumatic childhood or have really unfortunate events happen to them. The sad reality is that a lot of people do. 
um, which, you know, I hear it a lot. But since I've gotten sober, I've also met so many people that, you know, they are functioning alcoholics addicts, you know, they were able to keep their jobs, they, they may have lost a lot financially, and you know, in their personal lives in terms of their marriage or relationships or stuff like that. But um, much like I did, except it doesn't have to get as horrific as a lot of people think it does. And so, you know, my family was great growing up. I actually, you know, in Holland where I was born, you could consume alcohol at a very young age. And so anytime I went there, um, obviously when I was, you know, after 14, after the first time I drank, I would go to bars and stuff and I would partake a lot more. But I remember hanging out with my opa, which is grandpa for those of you that don't know. And we sat there and I remember he had a glass of red wine and he gave me a sip and I didn't like it. And, you know, red wine, you know, it was not my favorite at the time. And I don't think I ever liked it, but I just kind of learned to really like it because of the feeling that it gave me. And I took a sip and he looked at me and said, you know, Tamar, if you want to be part of this family, you're going to have to learn how to drink. And I kind of laughed at the time. It was funny because I was young and never thought anything of it. Now, going to when I was the age of 14, I was in high school. I didn't love the first couple of years of high school. I mean, I had met some great friends. I joined a ton of sports because I so desperately wanted to fit in. I remember that was the time when I really wanted that acceptance from my dad as well. I played soccer. Um, I loved soccer. So I was always searching for that approval. I was always searching for that acceptance. And even though I know my parents loved me and, you know, my dad always supported me and he was always proud, for some reason I had started, you know, that ego took over and said I wasn't good enough and I didn't belong. And so I just remember at those those early years of high school really wanting to fit in and at the age of 14 is when I tried my first drink. You know, I was out with some friends and I finally had the opportunity to have a full drink um, because up until that point, my parents had given us sips of their alcohol, but they had never just allowed us to have a full drink. So it was never shunned in my world. You know, it was always acceptable. So anyway, after I had that first drink, I could not believe the way I felt. I felt amazing. I felt like my world literally went from black and white to color. Now, for those of you that have never um, struggled with addiction, I'm going to give you a bit of a comparison. I don't think it can compare all the way, but the feeling that alcohol gave me that first time, right? Like it just, I wanted to chase that feeling. So if any of you have ever experienced you know, maybe you've always struggled with yo-yo dieting, weight, um, food consumption, binge eating. Um, I've, you know, definitely done the binge eating thing. You know, when say you deprive yourself, right? And you go a month or 30 days and you don't have anything that is something you would normally turn to for comfort, right? So you've de been depriving yourself. You've just been eating really strict because you're determined to lose weight. And then think about that feeling when you have a treat meal for the first time. So it's been a really long time. You know, we're not talking a couple days, but you've been dealing with some stuff at work. You're just emotional right now. You go out and you have, think about the most amazing meal that you could possibly have that you might feel a little bit sick after eating. But when you first take that bite and you just put it in your mouth and the feelings you get of just that satisfaction and that comfort and that ease right? Can you feel it? Like 
I, I know I can, especially with food, but um, that is very similar. And the I think the only way that I can really explain that that feeling of having a, a first drink and getting drunk for the first time felt for me. And each and every time I drank, I wanted to chase that feeling. And I didn't know where that that limit was to blackout, right? It was like, okay, I've had one drink. It made me feel this good. Well, what if I have another drink? It's going to make me feel that good and so on and so on and so on. And so even though people would look at me and go, hey, Tamar, like you've had enough. You should probably stop right now. I wanted to continue to chase that feeling. I'm like, ah, what are you talking about? Like there's, I don't have to stop. I'm fine, right? And it was always, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I can handle my alcohol. So that is is how I felt the first time I had a drink. And I think what people don't understand is that's what separates um, somebody with addiction and somebody who doesn't experience it. And I think a lot of us can experience in different ways. Um, but especially for drugs and alcohol, that feeling is just so elusive and we just want it so badly. It's, you know, it's it's like an allergy, right? It's something that as soon as it we ingest something into our body, everything changes and we love that feeling and we just want to continue to experience that feeling. Now, before I started drinking, I was a fairly good student. I would say I didn't get into a lot of trouble. I was smoking occasionally because I started doing that when I was 12 years old. Um, so trying to fit in and find out where I belonged, I just started to hang out with a lot of different, um, different types of people and, but I was overall, I was pretty good and I was, um, you know, I wasn't getting into too much trouble, but after I started drinking, of course, I started skipping class. Um, my parents would travel every once in a while, which worked out really well for me because I could come home and we could actually drink on our lunch hour we'd hang out at my place and uh, you know usually the drink of choice back then was uh, those um, tropic kiwi I don't know if you guys have heard of it but they came in the two liter bottle and so we would scrounge up enough money and often unfortunately I hate to say this mom if you're listening I'm sorry Um, but you know I would go into my mom's purse and find a $20 bill and then I could buy a few bottles of this two liter tropic kiwi drink which I don't even think today I could stand the smell of it. Um, I would probably get sick, but that was what I started drinking in Rockaberry as well. And so we would go and grab these two liter coolers. I would stash them at my house and at lunch we would go home and drink, which was super fun. And, you know, from there I just started skipping out a lot more. And I remember coming home once and showing my mom my report card and she's like, oh, what's this, you know, 32 and I'm like oh that's the number of students in the class right when in reality it was how much you know absentee time I had had and so because I had given some sob story to the vice principal they didn't give me a hard time so already back then I used to really manipulate everything I started stealing as well the friends I was hanging out with we'd go to the mall and we'd start you know stealing these rings we wanted jewelry stuff like that so you know that started happening I remember uh, when I turned 16, I was so excited to get my driver's license that back then you could actually do this. I know it sounds crazy, um, but on the day of my birthday, I went and got my learners and 30 days later, because you had to have at least 30 days experience driving, I went and I got my driver's license and I barely passed it, but I did and I was super excited because now I actually had the freedom and 
in the town that we lived in, even though a lot of my friends were kind of in town, there was a lot of people and all the house parties that were happening were happening outside of town. So you either had to get your parents to drive you, which was not going to happen, or you needed to have a vehicle. So when I got my driver's license, everything changed. My mom was really great about lending me her car, which may not have been a good thing at the time, but I remember one weekend a friend of mine um, had mentioned a party that was happening and we decided to go pick up some other friends and head on over. And so we walked into the party. It was probably about nine or 10 o'clock at night. Um, I can't even imagine now going to a party at nine or 10 o'clock at night because I'm long sleeping, but I digress. So anyway, we went to this party and it was a lot of fun. Um, I was upstairs hanging out, drinking with some friends and uh, went to go look for the uh, friend that I had actually gone to the party with. When I went downstairs, uh, to my surprise, the kids back then, and I don't know if this happens today, but it did back then, they were, uh, they had these plastic bags and they were spraying aerosol into them and actually huffing the aerosol to get high. And I smoked pot at the time. Um, I started smoking pot while I was uh, 14 as well. So that the the pot and the alcohol kind of came together. Um, and so I was kind of surprised. I thought, oh, what's this? And I'm, I'm glad I never tried that. But we were talking to a friend of ours and we said, hey, why don't we go out? Let's smoke a couple joints. And so we would actually go into my mom's car with a lot of us, more than, than should have been fitting in that car. And we would hotbox the car. And so we were already drunk and now we were getting stoned. And I remember at a certain point in the evening, uh, one of the guys had said, hey, have you ever tried uh, speed? And I'm like, oh, no, I haven't. And so we did that as well. Right. And I just I, I the whole night is kind of in and out. But what I remember is later on that evening or probably early the next morning, I was sitting upstairs kind of taking a break. There were some people that were dancing. And then all of a sudden, I it, it's almost like just a chunk of time had been taken out of my life because the next minute I look up and I see that same friend that was dancing now making a sandwich. The music was off and it was weird. I went from watching a few people dancing, just hanging out, enjoying myself to all of a sudden music off, friends in the kitchen making a sandwich and I have no idea what just happened to that time. And at, you know, this was a couple of years after I started drinking. So I was used to blacking out and this was nowhere near a blackout. And so that was a little scary. Um, you know, about an hour later, I decided, OK, let's go home. Um, I ended up driving about 10 of us, um, my mom's little Nissan Micra. Um, really comfortably fits four, maybe five people, but we managed to get 10 people in there. I remember driving home, of course, I was had my hands at 10 and 2, and, you know, we were out in the middle of nowhere, don't forget, and I think this was probably about 4 o'clock in the morning at this point. And so I was driving everybody home, I was panicking, my friend was actually sitting kind of through the middle of the, the console there and, you know, giving me words of encouragement that we'll be okay, we're going to get there, we're going to get to our destination. And I remember all of a sudden, one of my friends yelled, um, I think raccoon, and I slammed on the brakes, we ended up hitting this raccoon, everybody was freaking out and screaming out in the car, and it's very entertaining when I think about it now, other than 
obviously putting all these people at risk and their safety, which, you know, I, I regretted for a long time, but um, we just stopped and nobody would get out of the car because we were freaking out and we didn't know if we had killed this raccoon or if it was a possum. We don't know, but I think it was a raccoon because it was fairly big. And so anyway, someone's like, go, go, go. And we went. I'm pretty sure the raccoon died. Um, I do write about this in the book as well. I decided instead of dropping everybody off, we were going to go to one location and everybody could kind of walk home from there. Um, yes, there was fur and blood on the car, which we ended up spraying off. But it was nights like those that today I look back on and I think, wow, you know, like I would never in my right mind do anything like that. I would never have 10 people in a vehicle and that's just some of the stupid stuff that alcohol made me do. And don't forget, I was only 16 at this point. And I would go home in the evening and actually I would stop by the, the store and this really pissed my mom off. I would stop at the store and I would grab those, um, you know, the tree air fresheners that you could get. I wouldn't even grab a good um, smell. I would just grab whatever was available and I would grab a few of them. And, you know, not one, because I know now that you can just take a little bit out of the package and it's all good, right? It'll make your car smell fresh. But I would I would buy multiple and I would put it in there and my mom would wake me up just livid going, why the hell are you putting these air fresheners in my car? But what she didn't know is I was doing it to cover up the smell of weed, right? Because the car just reeked every single time I took it out like weed because we'd always hot box my mom's car. So at this point of my teenage years, I certainly wasn't scared to try anything. Um, I would do acid during school, which was an interesting experience. I don't recommend that. Um, I actually don't re recommend using drugs at all in school. Um, I became a little bit of a bully. I would pick on certain people and just to get a rise out of others, you know, make people laugh at the this person's expense. Um, so I started doing that. I wasn't at school a lot. I remember actually in my English class, my teacher would kick me out a lot. And, you know, I would use that um, time to roam the halls and go socialize with other friends that had gotten kicked out of class. And, you know, I almost had fun with it. And I remember my uh, on our finals, actually, I was near failing English 12 and probably because I wasn't there a lot. And my teacher came by and put my exam down on my desk and she said, you need, I think it was 54%, you need 54% to pass this exam. And if you fail this exam and you're in my class again next year, I'm going to make your life a living hell. And sadly to say, you can ask my brother, but unfortunately my brother suffered from this. I did pass, I think I passed by 1% of what I needed, um, which was good because I, I do truly believe that she would have made my life a living hell. So instead, unfortunately, she made my brother's life a living hell. And I actually remember the first time that he had gotten this same teacher, he came home and he was super upset and mad at me and just, you know, what did you do? I have to sit in front of the class. So unfortunately, my actions also affected my brother's uh, senior years in high school, which was too bad. Um, I didn't mean to do that to him, but unfortunately he did suffer as a result of that. So I, you know, that's kind of how I finished up high school. Um, I just barely passed. And as a, as a result of that, I actually thought I wasn't smart. I thought I couldn't learn well. 
I would use that as an excuse. My dad said, you know, you should go to college. Everybody else is going to college. And he offered to pay for half. So I did. I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do, even though I had no idea what I wanted to be. I didn't know what classes I wanted to take. So I think I ended up taking sociology and uh, criminology my first year in college. And I remember one of my friends actually had, and her class ended when I had my break. And she would often come by my class and say, hey, we're heading over to the pub, which was conveniently right across the street. And so I would say, yeah, I'll come over for a little bit. And even though it started out as I'm going to go once in a while for a drink, I'm not going to miss every class. That is actually, I'd go to the first part of the class and then the second part I would leave and I would head over to the pub. So after my first semester of college, I got a letter saying that I was on academic probation. And again, that solidified to me and justified that I wasn't smart enough to be here. And so I dropped out because I just thought, why am I here? Why am I wasting my time, right? When I could be doing a lot better things. Um, The other thing that I missed out on is that I played soccer for years and my dad was my coach. I It was one of the sports that I actually felt like I was good at. My dad always told me I was really good at. And I was hanging out with a friend one weekend. I think this was Friday night. And I got a phone call and it was the BC women's coach uh, for the soccer team. And he had asked if I wanted to come on Sunday to their tryouts to be their starting goaltender. And, you know... Had I been sober at the time, I probably would have had a different reaction. But of course, I was at home having some drinks with a friend. Um, So even though I said yes, I, you know, the next day I was so hungover, I drank again because that's what I did. And I actually ended up missing those tryouts. And that is probably one of the things I look back on. And, you know, had I been in a different state of mind, I would have never given up that opportunity because... Even though I was getting to that age where partying was a lot more important than soccer was, soccer was something that that always kept me fairly healthy. Now, this was the first of many opportunities that I would turn down for, you know, different things in my life. And I remember friends asking me, you know, why did why didn't you do this or why did you give up on that? And I couldn't really answer why, you know, I I I would always say, I don't know. And the truth is, if I was drunk, I my power of choice just kind of went out the window. And that's just the way it was. And, you know, I felt uh, a lot of times throughout my young adult life that I would get these opportunities, almost like a get out of jail free card, that, you know, this higher power, something was telling me, hey, you know, if you want out of this now, I can help you. <clears throat> and I never recognized that, right? So I never grabbed onto it because I loved that feeling. And I just wanted to numb all my feelings, right? I didn't want to feel. And I started seeking out attention from men, of course, because my ego was telling me I wasn't good enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't thin enough. And so I was just, you know, I it was consuming all this bad stuff. And, you know, infidelity started in my relationships because I liked the excitement of things. It was almost like you know, with addiction, getting drunk, that feeling of just, you know, getting high or getting drunk. I liked that in all other areas of my life as well, including men, you know. And so at a certain point in my life, I actually had an affair with a married man. He was probably about 10 years older than I was. I'd had kind of this crush on him when I was younger. 
because I had known him for a while. And, you know, it got to a point where he would buy me my drink. So I would use him for that. And, you know, uh, one of my not so fine moments in that relationship was I remember I was so desperate to get a night out and buy some booze and I didn't have money. I was hardly able to pay my rent. In fact, I moved around a lot back then because I just couldn't continue to pay my bills or my rent. Um, and he had, you know, called me up one night. He was actually drunk, went out with some buddies, came over and said, hey, you know what? I'll give you 40 bucks if you'll do me a sexual favor. And I didn't have any money for alcohol and I so desperately wanted to go out and get drunk because I think I had had a couple drinks left in my fridge, which was very rare. And I'm like, okay, yeah, come on over, right? And um, so I did stuff like that and I just, I was so ashamed of it. But, you know, the, the, the grasp that alcohol had over me was much stronger, right? My desire to get drunk. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit because at this point in my story is when I actually turn to harder drugs, which I'm going to get into more in the next episode. But alcohol was always my drug of choice, alcohol and food, I would say. Um, and so that's something that never went away. I would always try to go months without it. Like I, it was almost like <laughs> I would make a bet right and I remember doing this with a friend once is she's like yeah I got to get in shape I got to lose some weight and I was overweight at the time and this was just before I got married and we would say let's do let's do a contest right we're not going to drink for 30 days we're going to go dry for 30 days but we would always pick cheat days in there because we're like well there's a birthday party this weekend or I thought we're having a barbecue this weekend so we'd give ourselves the exception so in all reality, we didn't stay sober for that 30 days. I don't think I ever have, but we would always bet. And I remember I made a $1,000 bet once that I could stay sober for 30 days. And I think we went maybe a week before we just decided to cave because I'd always do it with people who drank as much as I did. Um, but, you know, when I got, uh, just before I got married, actually, my ex-husband was also alcoholic and he was very functioning, though. He was very different from me in that way. He could drink a ton of alcohol, and then at a certain point, he would just say, okay, I'm out, I'm going to bed, and he would pass out. And whereas I didn't have that control, right? I wanted to keep going, and it caused a lot of friction in our relationship because he had that control somewhat, and I didn't. And so, you know, I did some things to him that I, I deeply regret, but... You know, there was times where we went out to uh, get togethers and I remember I would be so drunk that I'd be giving lap dances to some of the other guys because again, I was looking for that attention, right? I wanted the attention and because I was overweight for a lot of my um, early years in my marriage, I wanted attention from other men as well. And I remember one day getting left in a bathtub, you know, I was... I had gotten sick in the car on the way home. Um, my ex was so livid with me that we drove home. He was yelling at me, and rightfully so. I mean, when I heard the next day exactly what I had done that that uh, evening, not a proud moment, as many. And, you know, I went and I got in the bathtub, fully clothed, and I'm like, okay, screw you. And I woke up that morning with water up to my chin and, you know, um, kind of getting out shocked, cold water, and so angry, right? But, 
these were things that I did over and over again to hurt people and especially those who were close to me in my life at the time. And, you know, even before or when we got married, um, my wedding night, I remember about half of it. I think I remember saying goodbye to my boss um, while I was doing a keg stand. We all camped out in the field. I, you know, it was a very fun wedding. Um, I actually was going through, um, I had gallstones at the time. And so I was going to get surgery shortly after um, I got married in August. And my surgery surgery was set for November. And we had gone down to Los Angeles and Las Vegas for our honeymoon. And I, the day after my wedding, I actually got strep throat. So I had a whole pill of Tylenol 3s that um, not my doctor, but a substitute doctor had given me to get through these gallstones until my surgery. And so when we went down to Los Angeles, I got strep throat. And of course, I didn't want to go to the doctor there because Mar Medical is not paid down there. And so I basically just put up with for I think it was eight to 10 days that we went with strep strep throat and gallstone attacks. And so what I did was just drink like crazy and I popped these T3s like they were candies. And so I was drunk and high that entire honeymoon. And it's very blurred, the honeymoon. I mean, I know we went to Disneyland. Um, we drove up Malibu. We, you know, went to a Dodgers game. I remember stuff like that. But the whole trip in general was very kind of hazy, um, especially the Vegas part of it. I would wake up and just be in dire pain because my throat feel like felt like I was swallowing glass. And I would have this big slushy you know the drinks that you can buy on the side of the street everywhere I would have a one that was half full beside my bed which I had no idea when I had purchased it or you know how it got there basically and that was the whole my whole honeymoon was a blur um and you know that was pretty normal for me and it didn't help of course that I was now taking pills and that was something else as soon as I started taking pain pills I cannot even to this day really take stuff like Robaxaset um, or anything that kind of gives you that mind-altering feeling because I will continue to take it even if I don't need it. And that's where I started to really learn about that stuff. So, you know, fast forward to actually getting my gallbladder taken out. Um, I was in a very codependent friendship at one point and... I remember, I think it was only two days after my surgery, uh, my friend had called me up and said, hey, you know, you should get out of the house. How come I, how, why don't I come pick you up? Uh, you can come over, have a few drinks with us. And I thought, yes, thank goodness, right? I was on these really great pain pills, so I felt good. But I hadn't had a drink for a couple days, probably three, I think, at that point. And so I went out to her place, um, her, her husband and I just drank all day and I promised my husband that I would be home by five o'clock, right, dinner. I wasn't really supposed to be out and about. I wasn't supposed to be doing much in the first place because I just had surgery and I got so drunk that the I don't remember leaving my friend's place. Apparently we went to the pub that evening and I got home, I think around midnight from what my ex had told me. I woke up the next morning, this is where I am remembering, and I had just gotten sick all over the bed, and my husband wasn't there, and he was so angry at me, my stitches had popped, um, because apparently I decided it was a good idea to go out, right, and 
I just, I never had any control of, over my decisions. Like I had good intentions, but those never lasted ever. So things like this really didn't change throughout my marriage. It really kind of stayed the same. I remember there was a lot of times I had plans with good friends. And if I went day drinking, so if I popped by someone's place and went and had a couple drinks before I was supposed to go out, I would actually end up canceling all my evening plans because I just wouldn't go home, right? And I did things like this to not only my husband at the time, but also some of those friends that are absolutely like, you know, mean the world to me. And I didn't until the following day feel that feeling of guilt and remorse. And but yet the the feelings of guilt were so strong that I wanted to get rid of those too. So I would just drink those away. And it was just this endless cycle, right? And it's actually funny. I remember um, you know, after I had sobered up, a friend of mine at work, we had a company golf tournament and now this person does not drink ever, right? She is uh, just such a great person and she doesn't really tie one on at all. And she decided to have a couple shots during the golf tournament and ended up getting really drunk. And, you know, this wasn't like her. So it was, you know, entertaining for those of us that were there. But I remember the following Monday, she walked in and she came up to my desk and she said, are you insane? And I looked up at her and I thought, hi, you know, why do you ask kind of thing? And she goes, who in their right mind would get so drunk and blackout and think that it's a good idea to do it again? And you know, this is what somebody who doesn't have a problem with addiction faces. They get so drunk, they black out, they wake up the next morning, and they're probably very likely to never do that again. But that wasn't me, right? And I remember sitting with my best friend one night, my husband and I had a housewarming party, and I was super sick. And I just was in tears. And I'm like, why do I keep doing this to myself? And we were sitting there and she says, you know, you keep saying, you're going to change. Why do you keep doing this to yourself? And I just remember saying, I'm done, right? I don't want to do this anymore. And I meant it at the time, you know, when I Whenever I said that I'm done, I don't want to be like this, I sincerely meant it with all my heart. But as soon as I took another drink, that all went out the window. I had hit such a deep depression at a certain point. I weighed 215 pounds. I didn't want to live anymore. My marriage was falling apart. And I just finally had made the decision, I need to change, right? Something had happened in that moment and I let it inspire me to eventually lead to my journey of sobriety. And it took a long time for me to get to that point, much longer than I would have liked. But today, when I look back at those times, of course, now I can use that as experience, right? And I am where I am today. And I'm motivated to push even harder to, you know, have what I feel like is success in my life, which is helping others. Um, and just those, those events of the past really drive me forward today. So I am truly grateful for what I went through back at that time. I just came to realize that, you know, as much as other people begged me to stop at certain points in my life, I couldn't do it for them. You know, I finally came to a point in my life where I gained acceptance that I actually had a problem because 
like I mentioned, you know, I had never been homeless. I had never been abused by my family or anybody else when I was younger. And I had a great upbringing. And so that was almost a justification for me to not realize or not really believe that I was truly an alcoholic. And so when I got sober, one of the first things I had to do was actually accept the fact that I had a problem. And I actually went through a really cool exercise of writing out my story and recognizing, you know, the points in my life where I had no power over alcohol and what I did and really saw how it affected me in my life. And it's actually one of the um, activities I have in my upcoming course, which I'll talk about a little bit later, but um, is writing out your story, right? Recognizing the roadblocks, recognizing what stands in your way of you and you achieving your goals. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that I had to go through, but acceptance was the main thing um, I had to get before I could move forward in this journey. Because today, I know that if I have a drink, it could get really out of hand. It will get, I can play that tape through you know, I actually was down in Mexico a few years ago when this happened the first time and I ordered a margarita, a virgin margarita. And when I got it, I took a sip and there was tequila in it, right? And it was so hot that day that I just, I didn't even think about the smell. I just put it up to my lips. I took a sip. Instantly, obviously, the, the taste of alcohol hit me. So I spit it back out into the cup and I just sat there and that feeling though, like I didn't swallow any of the alcohol, but just the feeling of it being in my mouth and the taste, because tequila obviously is very strong. And it gave me that numbing, tingling feeling again. And it actually scared me because I know what it would be like for me if I had continued to have that drink and been in a situation where I have all the booze I can possibly drink for free. And I can't even actually imagine what it would be like to be at an all-inclusive and get drunk because my mind won't take me there anymore. You know, I've done so many stupid things in my life when it comes to drugs and alcohol and my my I can't even imagine what it would be like because I wouldn't remember it. You know, I've never been in a situation before where I had unlimited booze unless I was at a wedding and in that case I would usually only remember about half of the wedding but you know, I just, I can't put myself there anymore. And I'm, I'm super grateful for that because that's a place I don't want to go back to. Right. And that's why I have this desire and this passion to help other people in terms of any sort of addiction that they might be dealing with. You know, I'm not a therapist, obviously, and I don't have experience in that kind of part. But what I do have experience in is, you know, helping people look back and seeing areas of their lives where, they're powerless over right because you have to get that and uh, so that was the biggest step in me accepting I had a problem and moving forward from it and just you know working on myself um, continuously since then. I am incredibly grateful for the life that I have today. I have so many people to thank for that and I'm going to get into that in my future episodes when I talk a bit more in detail when I actually got sober but it is work, you know, it's something that I focus on every day. It's part of my life now, the journey of recovery. And I appreciate that I had to go through it because it just made me stronger and it's allowed me to do the things that I love today. So 
If you're struggling or you know someone who is, make sure you share out this episode, let them know. And, you know, if you are having a hard time reaching your goals right now, maybe there's things that is holding you back, let me know. You can reach out info at theroadtohealth.me. You can also go to my website, theroadtohealth.me and book a free 30-minute call. I am happy to chat with you, help you determine the things that might be standing in your way. And of course, you know, if you do have a problem with addiction or depression, go get help. Um, you know, don't be don't be scared to reach out because there is always someone willing to give you a helping hand and there is a better life for you out there. And I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I hope it brought some hope and, you know, I'm happy to share this stuff. Uh, I can't wait a couple weeks from now. The second episode of the addiction series, I'll be getting more into my use of hard drugs and how that affected me and really just help me become who I am today. So guys, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day and be safe out there. That wraps up another episode of the Road to Health podcast, where my goal is to empower and inspire you to build a firm belief in your own ability to change your life and start achieving your goals. I know from experience, it can be hard to make healthy lifestyle changes that actually stick. I work with people to help them define their goals and identify the roadblocks that stop them from achieving them. If you would like to take advantage of a free consultation call to figure out how you can reach your goals, visit my website at www.theroadtohealth.me and book today. When you're there, make sure you sign up for my five steps to achieving your goals. And until next time, be safe and healthy.